Now I'm here. Now I'm here. And now I'm here. And now you're here, dear listener. We can begin. So welcome to episode nine of the Mainframe Performance Topics podcast, Back in Black. We are Marna Wally from ZOS Development in Poughkeepsie, New York. And Martin Packer, General Nuisance. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so where have we been lately? Well, why don't I start? So... Since we recorded, I was in Whittlebury Hall, and it's been a very long time since then. Yes, it has. My gosh, it was last year. Boy. And you were there too. But then after that, I went to Amsterdam on the ineptly named tour, which only had one date. And then I went to Johannesburg to see a customer and go drinking with another two customers. And then I went to Toronto. And then I went to Chicago. And then I went to Silicon Valley Lab in California for my second bit of winter sun. Yeah, and I went to Austin, Texas, and I had a very long vacation because I had to use my vacation or lose it, and so I ended up being on vacation for a while, too. And this is why you haven't heard from us for a while. Yeah, but now we're back in black, so we're ready. We certainly are. So we actually have some follow-up this time. Yes, we do have some follow-up. Uh, I've been watching announcements that IBM have, has been making about continuous delivery, and we have two more products on that list. I will put them in our show notes so that you can look at the continuous delivery announcements themselves. Uh, cut to the chase, both of them are going to do PTFs for continuous delivery, which makes them a little bit different um, than MQ series, which is not doing it in the PTF route. So you can think of it like that. I'll put the links in the show notes for that. So as you know, I'm very interested in keeping up on continuous delivery and continually monitoring what people are doing. So I'll put two more links in there for that. So, Martin, we got another title that you came up with. Why don't you explain the title of this episode, Back in Black? Right. So it's a bit of a contorted uh, title. So we're back, in case you wanted. Well, you wouldn't be able to hear us if we weren't. Now, the actual back in black, yes, there's an ACDC reference in there, but actually I chose it because it references a retrospective TV show called Back in Black, very recently on BBC, which was a tribute to the late Terry Pratchett, who's one of my favorite authors. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for the reference. I didn't know who that person was, and so maybe I'll check out one of his books. <laughs> One of the hints given in the program by, by the very famous author Neil Gaiman is you don't really want to start reading Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels from number one, The Colour of Magic. You want to read it uh, from one of the later ones when he really had refined his art. So anyway, pro tip there. So I'm very happy for our mainframe topic to have the famous John Eels here. And John is going to talk about something that I'm very excited about, something uh, both John and I have been hoping and wishing for and working on for quite a while. It's the ZOS platform product installation. So, John, take it away. So, Marna, I think you and I have been working on this for over a decade now. Yeah, we're that old. <laughs> <laughs> but I want, I want people to just take a step back and imagine for a moment that not only IBM, but your other software vendors all converged on one common installer. And that that installer understood how to handle not just SMP package software, but also non-SMPE package software. Yeah, you're right, because we do have a vendors that, you know, haven't, um, you know, found the religion in SMPE yet. But 
Well, that's true, and I think many of them will never find it. But, they won't. But, but now also suppose that the installation process didn't think you were done as soon as we laid down the code on the first test system and left you to your own devices to get from there to every production system that you have. And now imagine that the installer came with the operating system and also included a software packaging function, that it was browser-based, and that there was support for people in multiple roles to, to go do task completion for setup. So you're saying now that I cannot just install packages, but I can create them on my operating system. Well, and that's entirely true. Yeah. You can create them if you want. So you could actually use this kind of function for, you know, for whatever you are interested in. And, and I want you to hold on to that thought for a few minutes as we go through the podcast. Okay. So installation has been a top customer issue for a really long time. And that's not a ZOS statement. It's not an IBM statement. It's really a ZOS platform statement. And um, speaking for IBM, we have no fewer than six different ways to install products. And of course, that means there are six different ways to order products. There are three in the United States, and then there are um, another three, um, you know, that, that are available in different countries worldwide. And there are even uh, three ways to install ZOS itself, two of those in the USA. And Server Pack was a big improvement, uh, but it really didn't go far enough. So, yeah, we had a lot of way to install IBM software, but what about other vendors? I mean, what did they have? Well, for other software vendors, there are a variety of installation procedures, and we've been uh, preaching the SMPE religion to, for, to them for decades, but some of them, you know, really are never going to get it. And they've told us repeatedly and very clearly that SMPE is the answer, what's the question, is the wrong answer. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And we've also heard very clearly that they want an installer delivered with the operating system that doesn't need SMPE. And so in 2013, we started a collaborative effort. In 2015, it gained substantial, and I mean substantial, momentum. Now we have over two dozen software vendors participating, and this is ongoing. We ha we actually have weekly calls with all of these guys, and and the. Uh, the level of concurrence that we're going in the right direction has just been building a lot over the past year or so. All right, so it's been building. So what have we got so far? Well, in 2013, we introduced this thing called Product Server Pack, and the last time I checked, it was actually a quarter of all Server Pack orders were Product Server wow. Pack. Yeah. And it lets you order one or more products without having to drag along what we call a base product for, for the ride, right? And what's a base product? Well, it's, it's ZOS or Kix or IMS or DB2 or WebSphere, right? And initially, this was available for around two thirds of the products in the checklist, but now we're north of 25 or north of 95 percent, excuse me, mm -hmm. and and increasing that over time as well. And the whole idea is to let you order the product sets you want when you want for deployment into the environments that you want. And if you're not familiar with the term product sets, you can find it in ZOS planning for installation, where we describe that that whole kind of idea. And then to allow you to add products to an existing SMPE zone, we came out with an improved zone merge um, earlier this year. The other thing that we've done is we've created um, the ability in software management to create a software instance without an SMPE zone. So this is really SMPE agnostic deployment. You can, de you can describe anything you want as a software instance, and software management will happily make a local or remote copy of it within your enterprise, no problem. Right. So when you say software management, you mean ZOS's, ZOSMF software management. So we've got to get folks on ZOSMF in order to exploit software management, right? That, that's entirely true. But we're adding more and more function to ZOSMF in general. 
and and I hope that that other function and this set of functions will will really push people over the edge and so that they'll see the value in it. Right, because if I want to install my products and I want to install them in an agnostic way, I got to get to ZOSMF. So yeah, that's true. Okay. So the other thing that we did is because now you can define a software instance that doesn't have any SMBE managed stuff in it. We also added the capability to software manage to, management to export that that software instance, whether it's SMPE package stuff, not SMP package stuff, or a mix of the two, you can now export a portable package that software deployment will use as input. So now we we have in essence uh, created an SMPE agnostic software packager and installer mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. the ZOS platform. Yeah. So how is this going to help out other software vendors still getting back to them for the platform view? Well, we're providing support for any software vendor to use the new portable format. We're providing APIs for them to, to try to make it um, as easy as possible for them to instantiate a software manufacturing process of their, their own that can emit, you know, packages in this kind of format. And this really provides the basis for a common installer across the vendor community. Now, how many are going to play is, you know, still a little bit early to tell. Um, but the whole idea is now we've created a browser-based product um, software packager and installer for all ZOS platform software that's built into ZOS and it really forms the foundation for us and for them to go forward and, and make future improvements. Wow, this is great. I mean, I'm just so excited. This is something we've never really had before and not only an installer but a generator and it's browser-based and it's similar. I, this is just fabulous. So, <clears throat> We've also got some stuff coming up next, right? We, um, I mentioned APIs. We have some additional ones coming um, between now and the first quarter of next year. And the other thing we're going to do is we're going to take that software management deployment function and we're going to have it call ZOSMF workflows. And we already have the notion of one workflow calling another workflow, so we can treat these things as building blocks now, and we can imagine having a package-level workflow that calls product and component-level workflows in turn. Mm -hmm in order to get setup tasks done. A linkage between installation and actual configuration with workflow. I just am so excited about where we're going with this. This is just wonderful. We've never been able to take like an SMP apply job and actually link it to something like a configuration step. My gosh. Yeah, and, and that actually raises kind of an interesting issue. You know, when you talk about installation, we all have different definitions for that term. Absolutely, right? yeah. And, and the one I like the best is the one that says, okay, I got this thing from the vendor. That's the beginning of installation to it's ready to turn the switch and, and use it in production. Yeah. And I think that's a more customer-centric kind of, of definition, and we're trying to, to cover as much of that entire path from A to Z as we can. That's good. We need to take that holistic view and actually work on each of the pieces and where we can, linking these pieces together so it just feeds one into the next is, is great. Yeah, and we also announced that uh, next year software manufacturing um, the people that bring you server pack is going to add the infrastructure they need to consume non-SMPE packaged products and deliver those in server pack. So after that infrastructure work is done, we can we can deliver SMPE managed and non-SMPE managed stuff in the same package, or we can deliver non-SMPE managed stuff in a package or SMPE managed stuff in a package as we do now. And what that allows us to do over time is is to get all those things that are today only orderable in what we call the standalone ordering path and, and get them into the mainstream offering. Wow. And, and initially, um, Server Pack will continue to use that uh, current ISPF-based custom pack installation dialog. 
You know, I get a lot of questions about this. We talk about ZOSMF. I've been encouraging folks to use ZOSMF. It's very GUI browser-based. And then they all say, yeah, but then when I do a server pack, i got to go back to those ISPF dialogues. What's going on with uh, server pack and, and ZOSMF? I hear that constantly. Well, I, I want you to hold on to that thought because we haven't really announced anything there yet, right? Yeah. But, um, but my wish list... Mm -hmm. is that I, I want all products to be in server pack. Yes. Okay, because that lets people order everything in a single offering. And then I would like server pack over time to shift to using the software management functions as the installer. Yes. And remove the, the current ISPF-based custom pack dialog. So this is John's wish list, right? This, this isn't uh, stuff that's in a committed plan. This isn't stuff that's been announced, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other things I, I would like to do is I would like to withdraw the other entitled offerings worldwide, the standalone path and CVPDO, so that we have one entitled way to order and install IBM products on the ZOS platform. Yeah, I can see that this is a, a logical progression that one day we hope to get to, so this, this makes a lot of sense. And other things on my wish list is that major software vendors also shift to ZOSMF format packages so that the products you use are all or mostly installable with the same installer so that you don't have one installer for us and another for software vendor number two and another one for software vendor number three. And this is perhaps similar to the revolution that Install Shield introduced to Windows mm -hmm. uh, many, many, many moons ago. Um, and that ZOSMF workflows that are called from software management guide your installation and deployment tasks for every new environment you deploy your product to, not just the test environment where you mm -hmm. go first, but to each one of them. And the final thing on my wish list is we got all this done before Marna and I retire. <laughs> well, I've got a long way to go, I think, so hopefully we can get there before I retire. But that's really great because you mentioned workflows also, and anybody that knows me and has been to any conference, you know that I'm pushing workflows on people at the labs we have just because workflows is going to be the future. And just like you said, uh, we need to have everybody understanding workflows because after you install, the next step is to just launch into workflows and go at it. Yeah, we, we have a, a multi-user environment, and many people have mandated separation of duties. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to route those tasks to the right people in order to achieve a set of overall goals. And workflows are, are designed for just that. Exactly. So it's been great. All right, John. Well, uh, thank you very much for, uh, for our mainframe topic in this podcast. I want to have you back on, and we can talk about the further progressions in the future. And also, if you have more announced material, uh, in our direction. That'd be great to have you back on. Thanks again. Plus, you're going to have to tell me how I became famous somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you became famous from uh, many of the things you've done over your many moons here. So, so thanks a lot, John. Anytime. So now it's time for our performance topic with Martin, of course. So today's performance topic is parallel cisplex performance. So why don't we start the topic? Kick it off, Martin. Right, so this is uh, a recap of my Parallel Cisplex Performance Topics presentation, uh, which is actually an update on a topic I've presented on many times down the years. And over those years, not only has the state of the art evolved, but this presentation has evolved to match it. And this revolution of it is no different from before, in that it's somewhat evolved. But you must have presentations like this, Marna. 
Yeah, I do. I have some oldies and goodie presentation that I've brought up and, and I've spiffed them up a little bit. I'm thinking about my Unix shared file system presentation and also my server pack presentation. And it's good because as new people come to the platform or new people haven't exploited something, uh, I found that these presentations need you know a little bit updating along the way. So this one is a presentation I refurbish, if I can use that phrase, every couple of years. Actually, even the older stuff has quite a lot of value, so very little of it has got pruned off this time, as usual. So I guess it's getting longer and longer. Longer and longer means the uh, session at conferences get longer and longer, right? Well, I think I just have to talk faster. Oh, yeah, I know that, Martin. <laughs> okay, so we've got parallel sysplex performance. What topics do you want to cover? This time around, the agenda looks something like this. So I'm still talking about structure-level CPU in the coupling facility. And after I've talked about that, still on the CPU theme, I talk a little bit about how you can match up the coupling facility and the prism view of CPU, so that's between the 70 subtype 1 and the 74 subtype 4 records. And one of the things that drives CPU in the coupling facility, as well of course as the coupled ZOS systems, is structure duplexing because requests get done in more than one place. So I talk about structure yeah. duplexing next. Then I move on to a different topic which is XCF traffic and a relatively new topic which is coupling facility link information, something I've blogged on many, many times. And then I'd start talking about something called thin interrupts instrumentation, which we'll talk about a little bit in, in a minute. And then I close out the presentation. So a whole rag bag of bits and pieces hopefully useful topics for people. Yeah, no, no wonder why it goes long. That's a lot of really good topics in a presentation. So what's actually new that you, you've added this time? Well, three substantial things. So one of them is I talk a little bit about the brand new asynchronous coupling facility duplexing for lock structures, which has the potential to change the way people design parallel sysplex in terms of the cost of duplexing, being reduced and so maybe there's some more design options there. So that's the first one. The second one is a topic called XCF traffic. Being incredibly nosy, I'm interested in things like Sysplex and data sharing group topology. So the member and group level information in the 74 subtype 2 record, which is the XCF RMF record, yields some very important topology information. So I talk a bit about that. And I also talk about attempts to understand, for example, which kicks regions talk to which other kicks regions using XCF. But actually, the matching up the traffic views from the various systems is still very difficult. So that that's one where I think we need some help, uh, maybe some analytics, maybe some Watson to put in a gratuitous reference. So XCF traffic is the second one. The third one, which I mentioned briefly before, is coupling facility thin interrupts and coupling facility CPU, because this changes a couple of things. One is it slightly changes the way you should view shared coupling facility engines. Not that I would be so rash as to say, go ahead, make all your production ones shared. But the other thing it does is it alters the way we look at CPU in the coupling facility. So there are two fields in RMF at the engine level, R744PBusy and R744PWay, which talk about 
time spent actually servicing requests in the first case and the wait time which is when the coupling facility is looking around for work to do before the engine might go idle well it, it could well do in the shared case so those numbers shift a little bit particularly the latter so, so coupling facility thin interrupts and coupling facility cpu is, a, is an interesting emerging topic if you're having to share coupling facility engines so those are the three new topics yeah, those are good. I remember when coupling facility thin interrupts came out in the coupling facility CPU one. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that settles in the marketplace because it has been out there a while, right? Yes, yes, it has. Okay, so you've done these updates. Where have you already presented these? Well, aside from internally, I presented at the Munich Systems Ed Technical Conference last year and also at GSE Annual Conference. So it's had a couple of good outings, has been well received in, in, in both cases. Excellent. So um, at these conferences, where are the slides? If we didn't attend these conferences, where could we get them? Well, I always put my slides on SlideShare. So there's a, there's a copy of this presentation there updated with the, with the new stuff. Excellent. And we will put these links in the show notes as well. Right. And I think we'll also put a couple of links to some nice material that Dave Sermon has put together on, on this topic. Yeah, it's always good reading around this area. Yep. And now it's time for our topics topic, which is voice operated digital assistance. Martin, why don't you tell us about this? So recently, a number of voice operated digital assistants have appeared. Uh, and I'm familiar with two out of the three major ones. So the first one is iOS's Siri, which is available on the iPad, the iPhone, the Apple Watch, the Apple TV, and Mac OS. It's the original one of the voice-operated digital assistants. And I actually, I have all of those categories of, of usage. Some I use rather more than others. And there's a rumor, which of course I would know nothing about, of a standalone device. The second one is Amazon Echo slash Dot, and their assistant is, I'm gonna spell this one out now to avoid waking her, A-L-E-X-A. -E you can put all that together. And I have one each of the Amazon Echo and the Dot, and one of them is possibly listening to me right now, so I better be careful what I say. The third one is Google Home. I actually have no experience of this whatsoever. Now, each of these has their own wake word. So the one whose wake word it is set in my house to A-L-E-X-A -E responds to Amazon, Echo, A-L-E-X-A, -E and now, with a reference to Star Trek, I guess, computer, although I think that'd be a pretty dangerous one to actually have. Uh, inadvertent yeah, that's wake... a word you'd use a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we might have already woken some people's devices with, by even mentioning the word computer. Ha ha. Yeah. Inadvertent waking is, in fact, a, quite a serious problem, although sometimes it's a hilarious one, although our listeners might not think so just now. Um, so one of the funny things is that bloggers have adopted substitute invocations to avoid li waking listeners' devices. So, for example, the Apple one people traditionally say Ahoy Telephone. And by extension, for the Amazon one, people very often say Ahoy Cylinder, which I think is a nice derivative. And if you look at one of these devices, you'll see why Ahoy Cylinder is, is appropriate. 
Right, because that seems fairly rare. And I want to interject, and I've told you this before, that when I was traveling and went to Samuel Morris's house, he wanted us to answer the telephone with Ahoy, too. So I'm, I'm a fan of the Ahoy. I like Ahoy. Ahoy is good. I do, too. Rare enough, but good enough to get at it. So each of these has their own strengths and weaknesses. So Siri is in a lot of devices, but it's really not very clever. It's also, on the other hand, with you whenever you have your phone with you, if you have an Apple iPhone. But, you know, reality check here. Do you really want to be speaking to your phone in public other than for making calls and maybe dictation? But, of course, remember that talking to your phone is what it was originally for. Now, the Amazon one is better at understanding speech and is integrated with a lot of things. So, for example, web automation services like Stringify and If This Then That, otherwise known as IFTTT. Yeah, I'm a fan of IFTTT, and I don't have any of these voice-operated digital assistants yet. IFTTT has is, is been really helpful to me because I like to know when snow is coming so that I can bring my ThinkPad home because I may not be able to get to the office the next day. That's a pretty neat so and fairly very handy. Yeah, pretty neat and fairly topical piece of automation. Perhaps we'll do a topics topic one day on web automation when we can talk about IFTTT more and perhaps Stringify and perhaps Zapier or is it Zapier to name but three. Okay, sounds good. So, so I uh, actually have the integration with Philips Hue Hub from the Amazon Echo uh, for controlling lights. So I can tell the uh, the one on my desk upstairs to turn off the landing light. Um, now, big deal, I could use the switch, but uh, sometimes it's easier to just bark an order and, and have it obey without having to physically wash your hands or something before touching the switch. You can actually extend the Amazon uh, ecosystem with capabilities called skills. And actually, it's quite easy to write your own. I wrote a Hello World one, which isn't worth publishing, but I can tell you it was actually quite an easy tutorial to follow along with it and, and do. All you need is an Amazon developer account. So that's more extensible, I would say, than the Apple um, ecosystem. Okay. And, and they've... Uh, put a lot of effort in uh, the Amazon Echo into audio detection. So, for example, the Amazon Echo itself has a very nice set of um, microphones that, that are better than the Apple offering, I would say, at picking up speech. Now, for, for completeness, and this isn't really a very good job of completeness, but never mind, uh, Google Home has access to Google services, and that's, that's really one of its strengths. So Google Translate and Google Calendar and Google Search are things you can get to from Google Home. Wow. That sounds good. I'd like that one. The translation one is cool. I like that. Yeah. Now, now there may well be translation services in Apple and uh, Amazon, but I haven't actually tried them, nor have I tried Google Home, as I say. So what do I actually use these for? So I use the Apple offering, Siri, for dictation into the watch and on the phone. So I might dictate messages to send as texts. I might dictate to-dos to send to OmniFocus, which is my task manager. And I might dictate other snippets of text for sending into drafts, which is the iOS app I use for creating snippets of text for processing later on. The Amazon Echo, on the other hand, I use for lot, lots of things. So I can, and this is built in, I can add items to my shopping list, which are then available on the phone in the corresponding app, uh, which is quite nice walking around the supermarket with your shopping list that you dictated. Uh, I can turn lights on and off, as I say. 
So for some lights in the house, I have hue bulbs. By the way, not the color ones. I have no interest in, in um, this being Valentine's Day as we record this, turning any room pink. Uh, and I have a, bel yeah. a Belkin Wemo switch for a table lamp. And I use it quite often for setting timers for cooking. So I have one in the kitchen, so I don't need to wash my hands to set a timer. I could just bellow that at, at the Amazon Echo in the kitchen. And mm -hmm. I use it for setting alarms. So the one sat next to me here in the office upstairs, uh, the Amazon Dot. Very often it's one of the two morning alarms we set during the week. So my experience of both of these, both the Apple offering and the Amazon offering, has been reasonably good. There have been a few entertaining failures down the way. Uh, so I've, I've used them both for lots of things and mostly getting value out of them. So what's the future look like? Well, the first thing to say is we're in the early stages of this, so these will all get better. Competition will drive that. There being three is quite handy for, for fairly fast innovation. They have a long way to go with parsing speech and understanding what you actually said. It's a fairly simplistic model in all three cases, but getting better. The other thing to note is Apple in iOS 10 provided a framework to direct requests to third-party apps. At the moment, very limited domains, but that's likely to improve. So the ability to drive third-party apps on iOS is going to improve with time. It wasn't possible at all until iOS 10. You just could only drive the stock apps that way. So, so the other thing to say is I think that people will probably have two or three of these devices. You might ask, why would I even want one? But assuming you want one, you might well want two or three of these. As I say, I have three devices, two Amazon Ones and one Apple. Well, actually, much more than three devices. I have two Amazon Ones and a lot of Apple Ones. But you might want two or three types of device because they each have their strengths and their weaknesses and their capabilities. Right, and I would hope that these devices interact and, and coordinate with each other as well. So I've got hopes for that. I would hope so. But for now, I think the web automation, if this, then that, and stuff like that is, is probably where most integration points are going to be. But yes, it would be nice to see ah, some sort of okay. standard, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, so bear in mind, we have... That may come as, as we move on, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. that may come. So bearing in mind, we have an international audience. The availability of these will spread to more countries as well which is particularly a problem right now with Amazon because it has very, very few countries. So there are three countries I know of that have Amazon Echo support. The USA is actually at the forefront of this, but UK and Germany have recently uh, begun to catch up quite rapidly. So that's three countries, USA, UK and Germany. I would expect more countries and I would expect more things to be built out. So for now, I think the general synopsis is that here we are in early 2017, these devices are moving from nice toys to actually very useful devices, and I think that will accelerate over the rest of 2017 and, and onwards. Good, good. Thanks for that review. I'm not as far along as you are, but I'm looking to be in a while, maybe. I think you'll overtake me. <laughs> and before we go, we have some customer requirements. But first, Marna has something to say. Oh, yes, I do. I was just handed this paper. We have a disclaimer. 
IBM customer requirements we discuss are neither committed nor indicated that they are even going to be in plan. They may not be even a good idea to do. They are simply two people talking about customer requirements publicly available for viewing and ones that catch your eyes. By no means should every requirement they talk about be construed as anything that the IBM Corporation is even thinking of doing. Our opinions are our own. Your mileage may vary. Void were prohibited and items displayed or a serving suggestion, part of a nutritious breakfast, and past results are not indicative of future performance. So there. But seriously, you have two requirements you actually do want to discuss. Yes, I do. I've been looking around requirements and I found two that are particularly interesting to me and I found another one we'll talk about in a while. But uh, the two I wanted to highlight here in Episode 9 are a requirement, 100505. It's open right now. The title of the requirement is Specify Dataset Name High-Level Qualifier for Health Checker Debugging. Now, I do like this one because we've had to hard code a high-level qualifier for health checker when you have debug on for the checks. And the high-level qualifier that we pick obviously is not good on all systems. So this requirement is very nice, and it allows the user to specify what the high-level qualifier they want is, which is very a reasonable thing. And the other one? And the other one is another favorite topic of mine, which is ZOSMF. It is ID 100362. Put the link in the show notes. And this one is called ZOSMF, Create Your Own Category on the left bar. Now, what I really like about this one is you know you can create user links in ZOSMF on the left-hand side, but you cannot put them in your own category. So you can put them where they are, or you can have no category. And it seems to me that it would be very reasonable that a customer would want to lump their own personal links together. So I do like that one. doesn't seem very hard to me to do. So if you like that one, go vote on it. So that seems like one where it's making it easier and easier to spend your life working in ZOSMF without really having to go too many other places out. Yeah, it's getting that way. The The ball is rolling down the hill on this thing and gathering moss. So before we go, let's talk about the places we expect to be speaking at and visiting. Yes, I will be at SHARE March 6th through 10th in San Jose, California. I am frantically preparing and updating presentations that I'm doing, so I'm very busy with that right now, but it's always a pleasure to do. I got nothing. You got nothing. Okay. Well, maybe we'll see each other in person soon. So Hopefully. Okay, we do welcome any feedback that you have on our podcast, and if you do that, you can either put a message underneath our podcast message, or you can email us. So, Martin, we've got some stuff on the blog. You've been more busy than I, and yet I have done something. So, why don't we start with you? Well, it's been a while, hasn't it? So, not surprisingly, I have three blog posts. So, the first one, a long time ago now, was one called SMT, Some Actual Graphs. So this is sharing some of my experiences and actually putting some graphs together to try and tell the SMT story from customer data, which is, I guess you might say, a developmental stage. The second one is called The Sweet Spot, which is a very bad pun, but it's really a post about the kinds of things we can do in terms of picking out, let's say, the top CPU jobs in the batch window, rather than the traditional view of a suite, which would be something like jobs from one application with a naming convention. So that that's the second one. And, yep, the last, and the last one? Right. The last one is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek title again, which is Lost for Words with DDF. So this is one where I've made yet more progress in my DDF analysis code 
and having a presentation called more fun with DDF. Where do you go from more fun with? I think you have to go somewhere like even more fun or still more fun or yet more fun. So I'm kind of losing the will to live when it comes to adding superlatives to the beginning of the title of that one. So that's lost for words for DDF, but actually it has got some technical meat in it once you get beyond me messing around. And you, Mona? Yeah, it is good. I actually do have a blog post while you were traveling all over the world. Um, I was working again on one of my share presentations, and, and this is the lab I was working on. And I had fun with the ZUSMF workflow editor, which is a relatively new incorporation. So if you uh, want to learn about the workflow editor, read my blog a little bit and also come to the share lab that I'm going to give just on that topic. Actually, I wish I was at that lab. That sounds like fun. Well, I can give it to you. You can do it uh, just over the Internet if you wanted to. So you you will not get away from it. I'll take you up on that. You will not get away from it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, That sounds awful, doesn't it? Not getting away from it, but anyway. Yeah, it's coming at you. It's USMF. It's there. (laughs) We'll have have to read the blog post to see what what on earth you could possibly mean by that. So, anyway. Yeah, I am. Brutally honest. So, yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah. So, if you want to contact us, you can get hold of me on Twitter as Martin Packer or by email as martin underscore packer at uk.ibm.com. And you can contact me, Mark Wally, on Twitter, and that's Marna Wally, and also via email, mwalle at us.ibm.com. So it goes. So it goes. <laughs>